You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Wednesday, August the 16th. Beautiful, bright morning here in TW11. A week from now, we'll be at York for the Ebor Festival. Let's hope it stays like this. And there was a sparkling performance in the sunshine at Deauville yesterday in the pre-Guillaume Dornano from Ace Impact. Not everyone was massively impressed, but his trainer was, his jockey was. We'll be hearing from him a little bit later. And he remains market leader for the pre-Deluxe de Triomphe. I'm afraid I'm I'm going to have to apologise. It's saunas again, folks, but this might be the last word for a little while on this thorny issue because today on this podcast we've secured interviews with senior representatives of the British Horse Racing Authority and the Professional Jockeys Association, which I think in on the same broadcast is a is a first on this particular issue. Nick Attenborough, chair, new chair of the PJA in a few moments time and before that you'll hear from Brand Dunshay chief regulatory officer for the BHA why do we need to rake over this ground again racing post senior writer Lee Motter said because um Nick yesterday the PGA initially came out with I think what has been his first public statement on saunas we've heard from lots of jockeys we heard from the PGA yesterday it explicitly called for the BHA to now reconsider bringing saunas back. It spoke of the mental health impact that an absence of saunas has, has been having on jockeys and referenced the term uh, psychology agency, um, which it believes is important in this debate. The BHA responded later in the day with a statement of its own in which it was pretty angry in its tone of language. It said that the PGA had previously been very supportive of the move to ban saunas and it repeated why it believes that not having saunas on racecourses is the right policy. All right, so I've been speaking to Brant Dunshay, Chief Regulatory Officer of the British Horse Racing Authority, and I said, right, we've heard all the debate now. It's quite clear saunas are never coming back, are they? Uh, the view of um, those that have been involved in this process, Nick, is that the saunas um, aren't safe and that uh, they were removed um, f- for that reason. And um, the view that's been expressed to those that have been involved in the debate is that, 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 that they're not coming back. So that's it. As far as you're concerned, under, under your watch, under the watch of the present BHA leadership, they will never return end of story then we can move on with the with the rest of the argument we um, are committed to trying to find um solutions that that you know make it more sustainable and if you if you look back at the interim measures that were put in place during the post-covid period uh, where the the minimum weight was was increased by two pounds a four pound allowance was then allowed to jockeys um, to compensate for the position that had been taken, you know, it, it was a collaborative piece of work that we undertook with the PJA and health professionals that mm. provided advice to us all on finding, um, 
you know, solutions that can work for jockeys. I want to ask three questions surrounding that. The first of them is whether or not the PJA and its membership were misled when 88% of them in the original questionnaire in 2021 said they were in favour of getting rid of saunas, i.e. were they voting for that contingent on there being the £6 COVID weight allowance still being in place? That seems to be a central bone of contention. The survey that was conducted by the PJA uh, with their members was conducted by the PJA. Uh, it wasn't something that was undertaken by the BHA. It was a survey that was conducted by them. We um, worked through a process of engagement with the PJA post that uh, survey being undertaken and worked through collaboratively on coming up with what the position would be. So you're so, so you're saying if 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 their membership if their membership was misled or felt misled. It was misled by its own organisation, not by the BHA. Is that what you're saying? Well, what I'm saying is, I don't feel that we miss that the BHA misled anybody throughout this process. Um, from my um, recollection of the process, so if members were answering a questionnaire based on the fact that they believed that there would still be a six pound COVID allowance, and there isn't now a six pound COVID allowance, can you understand why they might feel misled? I can't speak for what was said, what was represented to them during that process when when the survey was undertaken, Nick. So I, I can't speak for that. But what I can say is that in coming up with our um, position following that survey and the, and the consultation we went through them through with them regarding the removal of saunas um, and integrating that with the work that was being done on improving facilities for both male and female jockeys across the country. Um, we put in place yeah. um, a process which, if applied consistently um, in the spirit of what was intended by increasing the minimum weight and applying the four-pound allowance, um, effectively there should not have been any marked difference in the way the um, the, the, the six-pound allowance um, or the, the application of the six-pound allowance yeah. had during the COVID period. Um, I'll come to that in a minute. I I'd, I'd want to talk, uh, because because you mentioned the, the repurposing of all the weighing rooms to enc- encompass uh, better facilities for female jockeys and male jockeys across the country and the removal of saunas going into that. How would you answer the charge that this is motivated by money rather than by the uh, concern for the well-being of riders? Oh, look, I don't personally, I, in my reading of this process, I don't think money has played a, a role in it certainly at all in the early stages the the aspect around facilities was not really brought into the discussion until um much later so the the, the sort of the position we we worked through with the the pja um initially following their survey back in late 21 was around health and well-being of jockeys. When you hear senior riders saying they feel that the safest way of them getting that last pound or two off is to use racecourse saunas, and you've got this extraordinary situation where you've got riders using saunas at, at hotels next door, which apparently is being encouraged and sanctioned by some of the racecourses, and they're going into a, a non-sanitary environment. We heard Tom Marquand the other day saying that to to, to sweat potentially in a more dangerous way to their own well-being than they would be in a, a safe and regulated environment on a race course. 
how does that make you as the chief regulator feel, knowing that jockeys are doing that rather than doing something that which you could actually medically regulate? I Look, I feel uncomfortable about jockeys putting themselves in a position where potentially their performance um, is compromised and the safety of their colleagues and, and uh, horses is potentially compromised through dehydration. Of, of course I feel compromised about that. Um, allowing it to happen on a race course um, in a regulated environment is, um, is equally um, as challenging as other methods of dehydration and ultimately what uh, the health professionals that have supported this process and provided advice to the industry over a lengthy period of time and you know we're talking about research that's been undertaken you know over the past 10 years has been about trying to you know arrive at solutions for mm. um, jockeys that are around protecting their health and well-being without using methods of dehydration Finally, Brand, let's just let's just nutshell this. You you started off by saying saunas are not safe. Full stop. Where is the where is the empirical research that suggests that saunas are not safe, given that they are in every gym, every health club, every leisure facility all over the country, in a sporting context as well? I don't think I said saunas are unsafe. What we were talking about was dehydration. Um, dehydration to make weight can create an unsafe set of circumstances. That that's that's what's unsafe, and um, that's what we've got to focus on. We've got to focus on that sustainable weight making approach. This work about developing an alternate sustainable solution is one that has been ongoing now for eighteen months in terms of trying to develop the scope of a piece of work, a project that can can find. Um, those longer term solutions and that's what we've got to focus on Nick but we don't think there's anybody that's that's met with either the PJA or individual groups of jockeys more than myself over the last few years and you know we've achieved lots together we've you know we've worked really well through COVID we've, we've worked really um, despite what some might think we've actually worked in a really collaborative way um, during the implementation of the WIP review we are committed to working together and that's something that I'm committed to and our organisation are committed to and I'm sure that that's exactly the same um, motivation that's driving the PJA at the moment and we can get there. Well, Nick Attenborough is the chair of the uh, Professional Jockeys Association. I mean, Nick, it seems that the BHA's position is pretty entrenched on this, and it doesn't look as though there is any possibility under its current management that, that, that saunas are making a return. So what do you as a body do now? What's your, what's your next move? Well, we're hopeful that um, the BHA will uh, come up with a evidence-based solution that can work for the, for the jockeys, our, our members, and for the sport as a whole. In the meantime, we're very keen to work with them on some research into the mental well-being of jockeys because we have a real concern there. And um, you know, we've been looking into that uh, through contacts we have and the psychologists we've been working with. Um, so that'll that's certainly another part of the next stage of how this needs to go forward. Really. But I mean, it it's sort of been been the narrative over the last couple of weeks that they must return. I and mean, we've had some very powerful testimony from some of uh, your members, particularly Tom Marquand on this podcast and elsewhere. You know, Neil Callan's spoken about it. Ruby Walsh spoke about it from an Irish perspective, but more a global perspective uh, very well yesterday. 
yeah, these must return. If they don't return, what is, in your view, the next best solution if they don't come back to racecourses? Well, I don't know whether there is one because I think uh, we'd have found it somewhere globally. Um, individualized minimum weights, uh, they started in Ireland about 10 years ago and um, takes a long time to work through the system um, because you start off with apprentices and conditionals. Uh, bringing back the uh, COVID allowance uh, is opposed by by the NTF on, on uh, horse welfare grounds, and I think uh, we'd be very sympathetic with their view on that. Um, so I don't know what, what other solutions there are. Um, I just know we, we what we believe is that um, the relative risks of saunas can be regulated. Uh, we don't want jockeys going into saunas and, and trying to take off uh, inappropriate amounts of weight. They, jockeys are very good at managing their weights in saunas. Um, and we believe that the, the risks of uh, stress and anxiety caused by what we would see as sort of um, the, the you know, weight loss methods that jockeys are now forced to use, some of them are dehydrated for 18 hours before they ride. Um, I think the relative risks of, of damage to jockeys that way outweighs any possible um, risk that using a sauna for 10 minutes or, or 20 minutes on a race course does. How strong do you think the pressure could get from, from your membership if, if the BHA remains um, fixed to their, to their viewpoint? I mean, could you, could you see a situation where jockeys start to strike? No, I, I, I can't see that. I, I think, you know, it's a we're dealing with their mental health here. It's about trying to look after these, uh, you know, important participant in the sport. And um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't imagine that would ever happen. But uh, you know, we we need jockeys on side. We need them helping us to promote the sport really effectively. They're they're the sort of the actors on the stage that the fans and future fans really engage with. And you know, if they're too stressed to to sort of participate in that really effectively then we're not helping them to make the sport even better or also you know to be more successful so i just sort of feel we've got to try and as a as a sport together worry about how we make these guys lives you know more positive and um, you know i think the sauna issue is a is an area which is causing them huge amount of stress at the moment um, you're you're a conciliator by by nature. Are you going to make it part of your role to try and foster a, a more a cordial relationship between the PJA and the regulator? Yes, we we need to. Uh, you know, I, I uh, we've been. I came on uh, into the PJA uh, early June, and I've been trying to work behind the scenes on saunas um, ever since. And it's been a, it's, it's the number one issue for jockeys. So I've needed to focus on it more than anything else. Um, and we need to, you know, try and work together. We need to work together with the race courses um, because obviously they don't want them either. Um, they've repurposed, you know, the sauna rooms and other race courses to change, put them, I don't know, cleaning rooms, train, uh, changing rooms, whatever they've done with them. Um, so we need to work with them, but I think um, at the moment it's very difficult to see what what solution is going to work for everybody, um, that, so that we can actually get back to you know promoting using the jockeys to help promote the sport better. Nick Attenborough, uh, the relatively recently appointed chair of the Professional Jockeys Association, and before him the more familiar voice of late anyway of uh, the Chief Regulatory Officer of the BHA, Brandon Shaley Motter said is still with me. 
uh, anyone who's listened to this podcast at all in the last couple of weeks or read your paper, The Racing Post, or been watching ITV or Sky Sports Racing or Racing TV will have heard the debate, will have heard the two sides of the debate. What we're trying to do now is work out what happens, given that the BHA is now pretty intransigent on this. It's not going to move. Their saunas ain't coming back in a hurry. No, they're not coming back in a hurry, Nick. I think that is absolutely clear. And I thought Nick Attenborough pretty much acknowledged that in his in his comments um, to you. Um, I think this has been a really heated debate. Um, it's been a very emotional debate. And like everybody else, Nick, I have enormous sympathy with jockeys and what many are experiencing at the moment. However, if you try to strip the emotion out of it, as hard as that is, there is absolute truth in the BHA's position in which it says... The journey to banning saunas was one that the PGA was fully on board with. I've sat, Nick, as an independent um, in uh, an industry group in which there was a long, long debates about this. And the PGA was supportive of the ban on saunas. Dale Gibson, uh, it's it's a man of huge respect for um, its current interim chief executive, has been quoted in the Racing Post saying, why would you dehydrate yourself 10 minutes before going out to ride and the points that you made nick to, to brandt about if jockeys feel misled that wouldn't appear to be from within the the bha at the moment um i think going forward i thought there was also a uh, good sense in your question to to nick about the need for a change in the tone of the relationship between the pga and other industry bodies at the moment um we've got a situation whereby you are hearing from extremely measured sensible people like tom markland who have been so eloquent at putting their position across but at the same time we've had other people other board members who haven't been as measured in their commentary one board member referring to wolf walsh the rca chair as wolf walsh on Twitter. Well, that's not how a board member of a mature representative organization behaves, and it diminishes the respect that 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 organization is held in. So I think that has to change. And going forward, I think we do need to have more uh, research done about dehydration. I think the, the PJ has put forward some uh, arguments itself, but Part of the problem at the matter that is it's been done quite quickly. It's not massively robust at the moment. The, the principal psychologist that the PGA has been working with is the chair, Nick Attenborough's wife, who is no doubt extremely eminent. I don't doubt that for a second, but I think for a more robust debate, we need to have more people involved in it. And I think going forward, Nick, as well, I would just say that saunas can't be the long-term answer. You know, you, you can't have a situation whereby jockeys are going through uh torturous situations off the race course through dehydration and then having a governing body mandating dehydration there needs to be a wider debate i sat down with with harry davis uh star young jockey excellent young man who actually wrote out his claim yesterday i sat down with him for an interview nick at, at brighton last week and harry was really impressive but i did come away slightly concerned in that here is an 18 year old man who spoke to me about he doesn't eat breakfast, he doesn't eat lunch, doesn't eat before riding, he has one meal a day, 
And he spoke of a situation whereby every jockey, he said, will also try to do weights lower than they probably should. Everybody wants more rides. Everybody wants more winners. That, for me, just heightened my view that this has to be a big, far-reaching debate. And even if you ever had a situation whereby saunas did come back, which they won't do, that can't be the long-term solution going forward. Of course, there are no saunas in France, uh, and they're not coming back in Ireland in a hurry. We heard from Ruby Walsh yesterday. Again, he was he he, he was very uh, persuasive in in his testimony and set out all the reasons that others have, have done for why saunas on race courses are very effective in losing those last few pounds. As I say, France, they're not coming back, and it, it does seem that it does seem that the professionals in France have a bit more respect for for the authorities than they do here. I. I I don't know whether that's a good or bad thing. Maybe it's maybe it's a bad thing. Maybe, you know, it's good that representative bodies and, and riders feel that they have a voice. They can express that voice. They can come on shows like this and others and and say what they feel and, and no one's going to mind. Maybe that's a, a good British thing. But, you know, if, if you it, in, in France, they sort of say, right, this is what's happening. And it seems that everyone everyone gets on with it. And if they don't like it, they strike. Yeah, <laughs> we, we know that's the case in France. They can certainly there are. In in a general sense, governing bodies. You look at Japan and and Hong Kong, and there, what the authority says is what is what happens. That isn't so much the case here in terms of the culture um, of British racing and to an extent Irish racing as well. But you still have to have a situation where you have the regulator and the regulated, and in a lot of industries, the regulated have no say at all in regulation. That isn't the case in britain but we actually want representative bodies um to be strong and to be engaged and to work really well in persuading the governing body of their position and traditionally um i think for a long time the pga was one that maybe had the the best reputation of all the representative bodies in being a strong force that did articulate its members views very well we know that in the last year or two the pga has gone through very difficult times its previous chair john holmes left pretty much expressing the view that as an organization it was ungovernable now the pga can't be ungovernable it has to be governed it's got very good people in there it's got very good people on the board I just think that the tone of debate going forward has to change if the PGA is to be uh, held in the regard that it needs to be and ought to be ought to be held. And that requires, I think, all people within the, the PGA to work as one. It requires the BHA to listen to the, the PGA as well, certainly. There has to be a, an ongoing dialogue and I, I i just hope that the tone of the debate changes going forward well i mentioned france yesterday was the running of the prix guillaume d'orneau one of the richest group two races in europe it was won by the pre de la triomphe favorite ace impact who barreled down the outside off a steady pace to win pretty cozily he'll face much stronger opposition later in the season uh, this is a very short note that i was left by uh, his rider Christian Demura, who was in a massive hurry this morning, but he spared me 50 seconds. But they're 50 good seconds. This is what he had to say. Hello, Nick. So I'm a little bit busy. Uh, if you want, I can leave a message uh, like this. 
about his impact. You know, he's a good horse. Yesterday was 80% uh, ready and he make a very good turn of foot like uh, he do. And then uh, he worked in this uh, in the wheel, so you know, he's his home, you know, when I have to stop. So when I take the advantage, uh, he was relaxed in front, and, but he's still doing very good. That was Christian Demira. He's already winner, ridden an art winner in Sotsas Lee. I- I've got to say, if there were two camps yesterday, I'm definitely in the pro Ace Impact camp. Yeah, I wasn't initially. Initially, I was a bit underwhelmed in the sense that he was so impressive in the Prix Jockey Club. Um, I was almost hoping for a similar fireworks performance. So initially, I was a bit underwhelmed. But then I started thinking about it more. Um, I considered more that Al Riffa was an extremely smart juvenile who, if he's come back to that sort of form, would be a, a tough rival. Um, I considered the fact that when Ace Impact really built up momentum up the home straight, he eventually powered past them um, in style. And I also listened to what Jean-Claude Rouget was saying because he was adamant that what he saw there was exactly what he wanted to see. And we shouldn't forget that for all that the the race was an enormously valuable group to contest, it is a trial for the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. That, to use that horrible phrase that everybody uses, that wasn't Ace Impact's Gold Cup. It wasn't his Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. The Arc is his Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe. And I think on reflection, I've come around to being in your camp. Yes, uh, the sectional times seemed to back up a, a very smart performance as well. He was rocketing home off off a typically sedate French French gallop and and won really easily. He's a very very talented horse. He is also by Cracksman uh, now standing at Darley at Dalham Hall and was owned and, and bred by by Anthony Oppenheimer, the man who who also bred Golden Horn. They are distantly related, the two horses and. Uh, I put in a call to Mr. Oppenheimer earlier today to ask him uh, what kind of a kick and what kind of a thrill he got out of uh, seeing a son of Cracksman now as favourite for Europe's premier all-aged horse race. Uh, I think it, 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 it's so exciting. Um, the whole family are thrilled to see you know, a re- one, one really good horse. Um, but there are a few others around, but not, none as good as Ace's impact. So it's very exciting for the new stallion. Oh, and when you see him do it the way he does it as well, you're held up with a rapier turn of foot. I guess those are the sort of horses that, that you want to see coming through rather than just sort of really do a gallopers. Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, he, he finished the last furlong, I think, in a very fast time indeed. And I mean, maybe they almost left him too much to do. Um, but he, he, he's quite used to the course. So he was almost pulling himself up until in the end. But I, I think it was it's very exciting. And it was a very good feel too to beat. Uh, much is made of the fact that Cracksman, when he retired to stud, was the, the best by the best, the best son of, uh, of Frankel. And, and Frankel has held all before him as a, as a stallion as he did as a, as a racehorse. From your perspective, from the damn side of the pedigree, Tell me what you believe Cracksman's got to make a, a good stallion. So from a pedigree point of view rather than the performance point of view. Uh, well, he's got one of the best female lines you can ever get. But he's got Guinness when it clears, clears up. But the family, the female line is a lot of speed. And St. Bradigan 
um, was in the line, and he, he was better than, he was almost the best horse I've ever had. But he, unfortunately, was damaged and couldn't continue racing. So I think that the female line is pretty exciting, and if you want pace, you've got it. But you've also got some staying ability, too, for the stallion. Um, whilst we're talking about staying ability, I I can't let you go without asking about Golden Horn because he he since he was he was moved on has has gone remarkably well. Now we spoke just at the time that you sold him to to Jane McGiven to Standard Overbury, and you you wished her every success. I mean, when you look at what he's doing now on under both codes, what what do you think? Is there a tinge of regret or not? Not at all, because I, I'm I'm she loves the horse. And he's in, the, he's in a very good place for the National Hunt. He's very popular, and he's doing amazingly well. I mean, I'm, I'm thrilled for her. I really am. And um, I, I think that, you know, with, with, with the sort of the amount of money he, he's charging, he's in the right place at the right time. And he's doing, he, I think he's very high up on the European list mm. of SARS. I think he's in the first... 12 I think which is amazing for a horse that's never had a group one winner and he might have a group one winner pretty pretty soon because Gregory looks a, a really smart prospect for for Philippa Cooper's breeding operation now now with uh, with Al Wathnan of course you sold them the, the Gold Cup winner Courage Mon Ami as well uh, it, it won't be long before he's getting classic winners will it? Well I, I think they're absolutely right I mean people now understand that he's producing really good stairs, you know, in the 110 class. And of course, he had the Italian derby winner, which is group two. But I mean, I think um, he's doing extremely well and uh, he's very popular. So I'm thrilled because he's in the right place now. I think that um, all, all the National Hunt there's trotting through the Sheikh's property it was quite a shock for them all because of uh, the they're they're doing very well. I mean, he's doing incredibly well. And it might just be that you've got a you've got a horse to to come on and do well in your own colours as well. Because even though you sold Courage Mon Ami, uh, just as you were saying at the time, really to keep to keep the kind of studs coffers bolstered. Lion's Pride, his his younger brother, looked very impressive at, at, at Kempton the other day. What are the plans for him? Well, that's a very good question. You must ask my trainer, Mister Gosden. <laughs> but I think that. <laughs> I would like to know too, because he, I, I know he's in St. Ledger, but I don't, don't think he's quite uh, experienced enough. But then you could have said that of Carlos Monami in, in the Ascot Gold Cup, so you just don't know. But I mean, the half-brothers, uh, I, I don't really know whether um, he can stay a mile and a half, uh, three quarters. That's the question mark, because I don't think he's standing state that far, this, this hour stayed that far so there might be a question mark about him running in something like the Zendidja. but of course you know the family very well and you know that Courage Monami's already won a gold cup so it's uh, it, it's it's highly possible I will I will do as I'm bid and I will go and ask uh, John Gosden um, though the irony of course of it is that he has one in his yard by by Golden Horn that that is just about favorite at the moment um, and see it all comes back to you at the end of the day uh, with all of that congratulations well thank you very much I mean it's very exciting Let's hope, um, uh, anyway, let's hope that Cracksman continues as well as he's going. Because it's very exciting indeed. 
and there's some lots of other good cracksmen around. So I, I think they'll begin to appear very soon. Well, as you know, the the Hong Kong season won't be long before it comes round again, and we'll be we'll be covering all of that here on the on the podcast, and we'll be following the exploits of Andrea Atzani, who's swapping his tack and moving from the UK to Hong Kong. Could be a big opportunity for him. Looks tailor made for the racing out there, and he's he's going out with a bit of a flourish as well. Uh, multiple winners at Goodwood, uh, and he's just taking a little bit of time out before before coming back for for York next week via the pre morning at Deauville, where he'll ride the Richmond Stakes winner. Uh, Van Deek for Simon and Ed Crisford, uh, and he joins me now. Andrea, um, it, I, I don't know whether it was a sort of intention to go hard at it before you left for Hong Kong, but I, I guess um, Britain's kind of reminding you what you might what you might be missing in a, in a good way. Well, I always had, I had a good week, um, Nick. Obviously, you know, a couple of weeks back, and um, you know, started with the, obviously the uh, you know the the the, 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 the race of York and Onafaela and. Um, you know, and then I had a very good, uh, good with obviously Fantique was very impressive and uh, winning the Stewart's Cup for the first time. So yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's nice to live on a high. Exactly. Stewart's Cup, that and the, the winner of the first race as well. Uh, Vandique looks a horse of, of significant quality and he goes to the, the pre-morning. It, it looks a good pre-morning as well with River Tiber et al running there uh, and the, the very good French filly as well, Ramatuel. How, how highly do you rate Vandique? I think he's quite smart, Nick. I thought he, I thought he was very impressive at uh, at Goodwood. That was on his second start. Um, I know the race caught up a little bit. With, you know, there was five no runners that day because of the ground. Um, but you know, it, it could have done it any easier. He he likes to you know to get his toe in. It looks like him. They might get a little bit of rain on Friday. I, I, I was there um, last Sunday and. Uh, Sunday just gone, and you know the ground was good to soft. So hopefully, if they get a bit of rain as well during the week, but. Uh, the ground should still be on the slow side, which which she would perfect for him, really. And uh, I'm not looking forward to him. Quite an imposing colt. How much do you think he had in hand at Goodwood? How much better do you think he was than the eventual margin? He, you know, he is, for, for, for a breeze up horse, Nick is a very laid back horse. And uh, he's very hard to get a, get a feel off him until you actually ask him to do something. Um, if anything, I'll end up getting to the front too soon on, on, on that very testing ground. And uh, in the end, he just got a little bit lonely. Um, he, he, uh, he's going to come on plenty for it. It took a big step forward from which he needed to, from you know, from Nottingham uh, to to Goodwood. But obviously, he needs to improve, you know, a lot more for next Sunday. Like you said, it's gonna, it looks like it's going to turn out to be a very, very good race, which it should be. But you know, he's a horse that uh, physically he is changing, and is uh, a sort of horse that'll be a proper horse for next year too. You know, how are you? How are you feeling about the transition to Hong Kong now? Um. I'll be quite honest with you, Nick, I'm not really, well, obviously I've thought about it plenty of times, but, you know, obviously we've got uh, York next week and uh, I need to get, um, you know, that out of the way, trying to, you know, do as well as I can and then I'll be traveling to Hong Kong next Sunday. Um, it's going to be a bit of a change, well, big change for me, really. Um, you know, it's all different in Hong Kong, you don't have an agent, so you have to book your own rides. I will have somebody helping me for this, you know, for the first couple of months. And, uh, you know, they race two days a week, a lot of track work, you know, barrage rows, different, different style of riding. You know, he got to be a bit, bit more aggressive out there than, than he would be, I'd say, over here, um, which I'm hoping to, to adapt to, to it. And, um, you know, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and are you someone who's quite good sort of managing yourself and being in your own company and that, that sort of thing? It takes a certain personality, I think, from what I can gather. 
it's a uh, very tight. Like I said, the only race two days a week. There's only so many runners, so it's not easy. And like I said, you have to be on the ball, trying to, you know, pick the rides that you can. You think you've got a chance, and uh, you know, and it'd be nice to get the ball rolling straight away. Uh, but I'm quite lucky mentally. I'm, I'm pretty good. Um, but you know, you have to be sharp out there, be on the ball, and uh, it's like anything. I think once again to the into the swing of things, I'm, I'm sure I'll be fine. All right, that was Andrea Atzani. And before that, of course, uh, Anthony Oppenheimer. Lovely to hear from him. And I'm hoping, Lee, that John, John and Thady Gosden give him a call this morning and tell him how his horse is. Yeah, I, I do love it when I hear owners talking um, as though they are the employee, not the the <laughs> employer of the trainer, particularly an owner with the um, the, the the financial solidity of um, Anthony Oppenheimer. I don't know about that. He was he was he was quite impoverished, wasn't he, when he was selling Courage Mon Ami? And like all the all the strands tie in, don't they? Because then there's the Gregory who's owned by the same people who was owned by Mrs. Cooper, who is by Golden Horn, who was owned by Anthony Oppenheimer, who isn't now because the horse wasn't producing Group One winners on the flat, but is now. I know, you know, it goes on and on and on. It does. Yeah, I, I I would like to be as impoverished as Mr. Oppenheimer, um, but fingers crossed. The uh, the call goes in today to tell him how his horse is doing. Maybe maybe we'll end up running in the St. Ledger, but it all comes back to to him. All all those little interconnecting stories, which was rather nice, and uh, yes. it's always it's always good to hear from him. A man of incredible enthusiasm and passion for the for the sport. Um, likewise, and Andrea Adzani, who is off to off to Hong Kong, um, and uh, I wish him well. Maybe he'll get his his Group One success with with Van Dijk at the uh, in the morning at the weekend. Potentially, yeah, and it, isn't it? It's 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 slightly ironic um, that Andrea is heading off to Hong Kong partly because opportunities here became harder to to find in in, in the best races on the best horses, and yet he's having a golden period now before he leaves. Um, he's reminding us what we're going to be missing. Absolutely. Um, let's not miss your best advice for the day. Well, probably my best advice, Nick, is to head across to Salisbury today or tomorrow. They have their big two-day uh, meeting of the season. It's a fantastic race course, extremely well run by Jeremy Martin, and they've got two quality days of action. I'm going to go in one of their two big races today. It's the uh, British EBF 40th anniversary Up Avon Philly Stakes. My tip is state occasion. The trainer, Rafe Beckett, is an extraordinarily good form, 33% in the last fortnight. Ross Ryan, the jockey, is on 29% strike rate in the last fortnight. His last four rides for Rafe Beckett have won. State Education is a filly, a mare who goes well fresh, uh, ran a really good race in the Middleton Stakes on a seasonal appearance. That was 90 days ago. The absence doesn't bother me. I think she'll win the Up Avon for a team in red-hot form. Oh, do you know what? When she won that um, race at York last year, I thought it's it's not that big a hop and skip and a jump to see her making up into a, into a top-class group filly. And I still maintain that if, if all goes well for her, she she might just be able to snag something really big by the end of the season. So good luck with State Occasion. Thanks for chatting to me. I'm off to Ireland with the Victoria Racing Club to catch up with uh, Willie Mullins, Aidan O'Brien and Joseph O'Brien, which will be a, a lot of fun. Uh, Tom will be back tomorrow and I will be back on Friday morning. Looking forward to seeing you then. Thanks so much for listening. If you do enjoy this podcast, do leave us a rating and a review wherever you consume your pods. We'll see you again very soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, 
and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.